for me, uh, future of learning is definitely also about linking into creativity to learn to work in teams, really to prepare them for the job that we don't know exists in the future, right. but give them the fundamental skills in, in actually being able to, to handle them one day. listening to the Getting Smart podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. We're your host, Jessica and Caroline. And today we're bringing you part two of our Future of Learning podcast with attendees and speakers from South by Southwest EDU. If you missed part one, no worries. You can still listen to the episode and check out the notes where we'll have part one linked as well as everyone who's on today. Quick background for those of you who may have missed the first one. Getting Smart was a media partner at South by Southwest EDU this year. And in honor of their RFP being open, we wanted to bring you a little flash from the past to inspire and encourage submissions for the next conference. We apologize in advance for some background noise you might hear, but we were live at the conference while recording these interviews. First, we're going to hear from Stefan Turnipseed, Executive VP and Chief Strategy Officer at Pitsco. He'll talk about the importance of learning happening and counting everywhere, not just within the four walls of a classroom. He'll also mention what he calls the rise of an independent child. I work with Pitsco, I'm Executive Vice President and Chief Strategy Officer, which is an interesting title. What, what I really believe is more interesting, however, is that as we move into a society that is more connected, the world is becoming much more globally connected with the systems and with the, the interactions that we see. And this connectedness is going to lead to a necess- necessary change in how we look at education. It has to become more connected. All too often, education has been relegated to the 20% of time that they spend, that children spend inside a building without regard for the fact that the children don't know that's the only place they're supposed to learn. That's an adult concept, not a child concept. When you follow the children, they're completely happy learning in whatever environment, as long as it has connection, interconnectedness to their place, what is normal in their world, their friends. We know that children learn best in teams of one or two with friends of one friend or two friends, something like that. We know that best from brain-based analysis that's been done on, on learning. So it seems unusual that what we would try to do is create a learning environment that is so alien to the world they live in. In fact, the only place in the world that actually looks like school is school. There's no place else in the world of work or the world of civil society that looks like school other than school. It's and a so, really good point. Consequently, <laughs> Especially for people who have an engineering mindset it, or brain, it's it, probably baffling. It's it's uh, <laughs> it, it goes past baffling, to be quite honest with you. It just it's you know you're obviously designing for the wrong specification. Mm-hmm. So so I think the future of learning will ha- will be much more connected. I think it will be much more learner centric. It'll be much more about the learner. I think it will be significantly more hands-on because the work that's done outside of school is primarily hands-on learning, it's, and we'll see more of that in the schools. I think we'll see the, the I like to call it the, 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 the rise of the, of the uh, independent child, where uh, we see, we already see evidence from Sagata Mitra's work on self-organizing learning environments that children are capable of far more than we've ever imagined. 
And at the end of the day, children are the future that all futures are going to be built upon. And if we do not invest in that future, then we're all facing a pretty bleak Never uh, doubt our outcome. While in Austin, we got to meet with school leader Dr. Elaine Metcalf. Elaine is the principal of Summit Technology Academy, and she shared with us why she loves South by Southwest EDU and what her school calls an employability transcript. Let's listen in. I wish all my teachers could come. I have 18 teachers in my building, and I just, I know for me, it's like I'm drinking from a water hose with all the information coming at me, and so I really wish I had a team here. Yeah. Uh, That would be ideal, so we could, like, divide and conquer, and uh, because right now, you know, you're having to really, I'm having to pick which sessions I go to and what I involve myself in, but... um, Definitely the right venue, you know, spaces and education and technology all mashing up together. I love the concept. What do you think the diploma of the future looks like? So right now it's obviously math, reading, writing. Mm -hmm. How many credits do you have? How many electives do you have? Um, But if you could design the diploma of the future, Mm -hmm. like what do you think it would include other than obviously those important? Absolutely. So that's an interesting question, uh, Jessica, because it's been a few years now, but we in our district created something called an employability transcript. Very it was cool. the page two, if you will. Okay. So page one is your academic transcript, but page two was your employability transcript. So it had, and it, it all because we're a large school system, it had to be all automated. It couldn't be anybody checking a box like, oh yes, you're a good communicator. Yes, and yeah. oh yes, you have that skill. It had yeah. to be very um, data driven and you know and 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 easy to access. So I think the um, the transcript of the future should point to some of those employability skills that you mentioned Mm -hmm. and uh, whether it be, have they done an internship? Do you know that only 4% of high school seniors get to experience an internship? Out of all seniors or across the the country, only 4% ever get to be outside the doors of the school. To me, that's that's not enough. And I know there are other ways to do it, but... I, I think we have to, as educators, get them ready, mm-hmm. right? We can't just send them out and say, now you're ready for the workforce, right? right. Or, or a job, an internship. So we, we need to do more of that to make sure that they are ready to go to work and then work with our co- community yeah. on internships and uh, job shadowing, yeah. experiential learning, whatever that might happen so that that number goes from 4% to yeah. 14% even. That would be huge uh, yeah. to change the nature of what high school looks like. We're definitely going to add Summit Technology Academy to our list of schools to visit. It sounds like such a great learning space with a dedicated team of teachers and leaders. Now we'll hear from Saro Muhammad, a partner at the Learning Accelerator. Saro's work at TLA is all around understanding if and when blended learning is effective in K-12 environments. We asked Saro about why she attends South by Southwest and her hopes for the future of learning. Hi everyone, I am Saro Mohammed at the Learning Accelerator. I lead all of our work on measurement, which um, briefly involves understanding if, when, and how blended learning is implemented in K-12 schools nationwide. Um, I call myself a recovering academic. I spent almost 10 years at the University of Texas at Austin as a more traditional researcher and moved to TLA when I wanted to Um, get a little bit closer to practice and to have a little deeper influence and understanding of of how evidence-based practices are making it into real classrooms. Wow, that's great. Um, And Saro, tell me a little bit about um, why you're here at South By. 
So I'm here at South by for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them is that TLA's mission is to support blended learning implementation. And so South by is really one of perhaps two, maybe three, if you push it, conferences where, you know, we get to see what the field is talking about in terms of technology use in teaching and learning. Um, Another reason is that I'm here in Austin. I live here in Austin. I'm based here. And the the conference being here really makes me feel like it's taking advantage of somewhat of a community resource. Um, And then the number of educators that are here is unlike, you know, what you would find at other, um, at other similar conferences. And so really to to hear hallway conversations and to get a real sense of like the teachers and, and educators that are leading this charge, you know, where are they in their practice? Where are they in their needs? Yeah, that's great. And tell me, um, I think we spend a lot of time at Getting Smart thinking about the future of learning. Um, obviously, the future of work is, shift, is shifting um, way faster than I think anybody expected it to. So thinking about the skills and abilities that graduates will need even this year, but even you know, in, in three to five years, what are the skills that you think will be necessary for students to be equipped with when they face college and career? So I'm a bit of an idealist. And so part of this answer is is like aspirational, Um, not necessarily. I'm not a futurist. (laughs) Um, But I think really the more competency based that learning becomes is is truly the more that we are supporting each individual student in accomplishing, you know, or achieving their full potential. And so I think the future of learning really lies in figuring out how to create mastery based learning experiences for every single student that meets them where they are, challenges them at the edge of their abilities and really helps them um, achieve all of what they can achieve. Um, I do still think there are some fundamentals like reading and writing and arithmetic that will (laughs) never really go away. Those are skills that that we all need to have even to be functioning citizens in society. But I think really what the future of learning looks like is is that it looks very different. The learning experience is very different um, and that we are providing all of the supports that are necessary for each individual student. Yeah, definitely. And when you think about um, what you just said about some of the fundamentals, reading, writing, math, all of science, um, those will obviously, hopefully, always be included in sort of this diploma in the future. But um, in your wildest dreams, I guess you could say, what would you think that the diploma of the future should include? What other skills? um, You know, we talk a lot about social emotional skills and those sorts of things. But what other skills do you think are going to be necessary? Yeah, so one of the things that I think um, is actually happening and is really necessary is um, not necessarily hard coding skills, but facility with an access and experience with technology. Um, There are, you know, for the majority of us, technology is sort of invading, if you will, our daily lives. And I think when we think about what an equitable education looks like for students, one of the big differences between students that are well-resourced and students that are not is is just their access to um, these devices and et cetera in their daily lives. And so, you know, some kids get to school already understanding how to use a touchscreen device um, or even a mouse and other kids, you know, make it through all the way through middle school and and never really have an an opportunity to interact with either of those things one on one. Um, And so I think 
in order to be um, to have the same opportunities as everyone else, especially as you get to post-secondary opportunities, whether it's college or career um, experience with and facility with the technologies that are a part of our daily lives is essential. When you think about the future of learning and we've talked about um, obviously you care deeply about mastery based education and access access and equity. um, But what's what do you think? And I don't think that there's one answer to this, but in a perfect world, like what do you think could shift to get us there? I have a sense of what it looks like. And I think we have good examples already of what this could look like. Um, I think the scale is intimidating. So to me, the ideal classroom is one in which, um, you know, it's a multi-age classroom in which it's very clear what the learning objectives are, you know, not for that moment, but at least maybe for that month or that period of time um, across different, multiple different content areas. And each child has a good sense of where they are and where they're headed towards those learning objectives. And they also have like a variety of resources at their fingertips to be able to get there, including a teacher, including their more knowledgeable peers, including their less knowledgeable peers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, experiential like manipulatives, um, simulations that might be online or even physical simulations. Um, but basically they have all the tools that they need to get them there, themselves there, um, with a lot of guidance and support. And, um, and in that classroom, it's sort of all of the other things that are, that are known to be, you know, characteristics that are highly related to outcomes in our current system cease to matter. So for example, your zip code, which is, you know, encompasses your SES, it often is reflective of your ethnicity um, and a lot of things about your background uh, right now is very strongly correlated with your academic outcomes, how many years of schooling you are likely to attain, um, how well you are likely to do in school, and even your earning potential as an adult. Um, In that competency-based multi-age classroom, zip code is no longer strongly correlated or even at all correlated. All right, listeners, this last interview is well worth the wait. While at South by Southwest EDU, Emily and our team got to sit down with students from the Met School. Here, they're sharing their experiences at a project-focused school and why they believe in the power of projects and the skills that they think graduates will need most. This is Emily here, and I am with three young individuals that are from the Met. I'm going to ask them all to introduce themselves, and we're going to talk a little bit about their experiences at the Met, which is a big picture learning school that has a focus on projects and internships. And then we're going to talk a little bit about why they think that model is great and helping craft a great future for themselves and also just creating a better world at large. So, Brandon, do you mind introducing yourself first? Sure. Uh, My name is Brandon Lane. I'm the program manager at the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the Met School in Providence. Yeah. Hi, my name is Gabriel Mullings. Uh, I go to the Equality Building in the Met High School in Rhode Island. Hi, my name is Giselle Vasquez, and I'm a student at the Met, currently a senior, and off to college soon. <gasps> That's exciting. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what the Met is all about. What's unique about the Met? 
Um, okay. Uh, so I like about the mat is how we're all able to um, say what we want. Like so, in our advisory time, uh, we would all have like arguments or um, debates and stuff like that. And in terms of my advisory, we'd like argue about the weirdest things, and we'd all like you know get along as like a family and we grow and like uh, partnership and stuff. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite things. Do you feel like being in a smaller group of advisory is helpful? Yes, uh, it's definitely like in my traditional schools, like maybe like twenty kids in the class, and not everyone gets to say something. Even excuse me, even the quiet kids get to say something because like they have something to say. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, what do you well, okay, so interestingly enough, one of the first things that struck me about the Met when I first walked to the door was, huh, I don't have to ask for permission to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, that really struck me. And then the more teachers I met, I was also increasingly surprised by the fact that none of them demanded, like, very angrily that I call them by their last name. They were just like, oh, you know, my name's Edward. You can call me Edward. So some no, of those structures in typical school aren't there. So no, it gives you some more not. freedom, treats you more like a, um, the young adult that a I am. young adult, exactly. Yeah. Right. And respects your opinions and honors your voice. Yeah, and is very validating through providing me my own agency. And especially my advisor. I'm so thankful to my advisor because she, she trusts my instincts so much and she gives me the ability to branch out and try everything that I'm interested in because I'm so proactive. Yeah. yeah. At the center, what's uh, unique about your role and what do you like about it, Brandon? Uh, well, so I love entrepreneurship and I teach entrepreneurship, so it's sort of a dream come true for me. Um, but I think what I like the most about the work that we're doing is it's really, I, I struggle to use the word easy. It's very easy to engage a student in an idea that is theirs. And so my job never feels all that difficult when I'm sort of just saying to you, okay, what are your skills? What are the things you're passionate about? What do you want to pursue? What problem do you want to solve? Mm -hmm. And if the student's idea is at the center, which is my world, uh, it makes my job, my life, my role much easier. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but a good easy. So what is it that you're passionate and curious about? And what are you investigating through your internships and projects. Okay, so um, I do origami and it's a Japanese term that means the art of folding paper and uh, I've been doing it for about 10 years now and um, at the East Center I'm turning it into like a business and so it's called Art of the Crane so look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I look it up? So uh, we don't have a website yet but I do have my, uh, my own um, email so Gabriel at artofthecrane.com Excellent. So, And how did you identify that was a passion? Um, so it's in second grade. Um, There's like a lot of um, academic programs that are going on in my old school. And so um, when origami was like introduced by my older sister, um, I kind of like hesitated to try it. But then I was like, maybe this could be something I could want to do. And so when I um, when I made my first thing, I was so hooked into it that I um, over the years I just kept doing it and I got better and better. And then when we went to the mat, um, I thought, hmm, maybe I could turn this into a business. And then... Um, Excellent. And what projects are you working on or what did you do throughout your time at the Met? Tell me a little bit. So I joined the Met my sophomore year of high school and initially when I started, uh, I knew I had an interest in art, so that was what I went with. And then eventually come to find out that I was actually really passionate about and really good at computer programming. Uh, so that's one of the main 
interests and passions that I'm capitalizing on right now. So one of the projects that I'm working on, do you want us to talk about specifically things pertaining to the e-center? Or like, can we talk about our experiences? Yeah, just talk about your experiences, yeah. Okay. It doesn't have to be the e-center, no. Okay. Um, well, one of the projects that I'm currently working on is uh, going to Dominican Republic to, to teach computer science and programming uh, to little girls. Because after doing a lot of research in STEM and sort of the discrepancy between how many males there are in STEM versus how many females are in STEM and also what percentage of those females are actually like females of color, I decided that I wanted to do something um, to give back to my community and also enable those little girls to know that if I can do it, you definitely can. Uh, so that's the project that I'm currently working on and I'll be leaving for Dominican Republic this Sunday. You have a lot going on in your life. So one of my main questions to you is we really think that through projects that um, it's a really great way for people to understand and figure out what it is they're passionate about and what they want to do. And so I would ask you, do you feel that's the case, that working on projects, origami and through computer science, that you have developed more agency, you kind of know what you um, are curious about and that you know how to figure out how to solve problems and go do whatever it is you want to do, right? Do you feel that that's been helpful or that projects have been helpful in that? Yeah, definitely. Especially helpful in learning how to trust yourself and believing that everything works out in the end. <laughs> Even if things aren't always a straight line, right? Even if but there's some bumps in the road. nothing is ever a straight line. Yeah. 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 I wish I knew that when I was your age <laughs> because I'm still figuring that out and I have a lot of years on you, my dear. Do you think projects are helpful? Um, definitely. So at my old school, we would um, not really project, but more uh, like tests and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, the teachers were sort of like, here's a textbook, go. But at the mat, they sort of like walk you through it, like mm -hmm. baby steps. And so when we have projects, it's a lot easier to like, you know, come up with one. And um, so my business is my project. And so it's definitely easier to like, you know, I know what I want to do and here's how to do it. And um, like you said before, it's not really a straight line. And so like a whole bunch of bumps and curves, but it's definitely like definitely easier to you know straighten it out yeah what do you think brandon the power of projects are and it could be through you know entrepreneurship sure yeah i mean so projects and entrepreneurship roll nicely together if i was to use a word it would just be ownership right mm -hmm. i mean when you have ownership over your project or ownership over your business it feels like it's yours and to use giselle's word you have agency right mm -hmm. like you can make decisions about it you can change it you can update it and no one's going to do it for you. And if you're not doing the work, it's not going to get done. There's no way to really hide the fact you can't sit in the back of the class on your project. <laughs> right. right? Like your project is your project. And uh, so you can actually see things happen and develop. It's tangible. So I really think that that's important, that idea of ownership, agency, and actually owning the project. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think? And this is my last question for you. When you gra you're going to graduate soon. Yeah. Right? Come very soon. <laughs> What do you think are the skills that are going to benefit you most in your life? What do you think a graduate of the Met or any school, actually, we hope all schools, right, are going to be the most helpful and that you want to have? Hands down, public speaking and networking and uh again speaking up not only in a public speaking context but also just to have your opinion and your voice heard because you are valid and if you don't speak up about those experiences they're never going to be heard 
<laughs> yes. That's a high five. That was, that was the song. You, you couldn't <laughs> see, but that was a sound of high five. <laughs> um, for me, it's definitely, like Giselle said, public speaking. You have to be able to explain yourself and also being open because if you're like sort of yeah. like, yeah, this is what I want to do mm-hmm. and no one's going to change it, then you're not really going to grow or like learn anything because this is like the mindset of, yeah, I'm doing whatever and um, I'm going to stick with it. Because I definitely changed like a lot of things and um, being more open, especially at the mat, you open to like more ideas and more opportunities and so that's definitely one of the things in graduating is what uh, skill that you should have awesome. also community building community the met taught me community any lasting words brandon on that topic um yeah i think being i mean i'll, I'll sort of reiterate but just being adaptable and resourceful uh it's really we're just in a place now where it's not possible and it's really not acceptable to say I can't do that or I don't know that or I can't find that but we've got to empower our students to be resourceful so that they can find those things to do it right like figure it out and it's not just go google it right like that's that's your first step that's the first suggestion but there are real people out there there are resources there are mentors there are organizations there's this whole wide world of community out there that you've got to find a way to tap into so tapping into community i think it's clear that there's no shortage of powerful leaders teachers innovators and students who attend south by southwest edu There's also no shortage of fun. Our team is already excited and planning for the 2019 conference. Speaking of planning, if you haven't already, head over to the South By website and submit your session for next year. The request for proposal window is open and closes on July 20th. And keep an eye out for the registration opening as well. This is a conference you don't want to miss. We'll be sure to share more when it's time to register. Just make sure you're following South By and getting smart on Twitter. We've got both handles linked in the show notes and the blog. Well, that concludes our two-part South By Southwest special. Thanks again to the team at South By for partnering with Getting Smart for the 2018 conference and for everyone we interviewed during our time there. We so appreciate you and your work. Thank you for tuning in today. If there's a topic you're interested in that we haven't covered yet, shoot your idea over to editor at gettingsmart.com and we'll add it to our list. And for all things innovations and learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica and Caroline signing off.